Aloha and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Got Your Six podcast. This podcast brings together current service members and veteran high performers to share their methods, strategies, and ideas delivered in an informative and most importantly, actionable way that'll help you lead yourself and those around you from the battlefield to the border. Coming to you every episode, I'm your host, Tony Nash, and into the breach. Nothing mentioned on this podcast is an endorsement or opinion of the Department of Defense. I got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. I got your six. I don't know what you've been told. The views we have are all our own. Yes, we serve the DOD. But my opinions come from me. Yeah, I got your six, we got your back. I got your six, we got your back. I got your six, we got your back. I got your six. Sixers, today is a super special episode. We are celebrating the debut this week of Luke Ryan's first novel, The First Marauder, following Tyler Ballard, a 15-year-old kid doing his best to survive in a post-apocalyptic world and dead set on vengeance after the death of his brother. The author is here. Luke, so stoked to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So how do you go from being in Ranger Regiment to writing and researching post-apocalyptic life? Kind of the other way around. I mean, I have been wanting to write like a post-apocalyptic kind of world story since I was a kid. I've been writing since I was a little kid. I remember growing up, I have, I still have it. I found it the other day. My girlfriend and I were rummaging through old things and it was a handwritten book about Boba Fett written when I was like eight but it's like 30 pages long. I mean, the letters are giant and everything, but um, so I've been, I've been definitely interested in at least the fantasy sci-fi action kind of realm for like most of my life. And when I was in Ranger Battalion, I was, you know, I was writing a lot, any chance I could get, especially on deployments, I I would just kind of refining that skill. And I, you know, I thought I was pretty decent at the time, but like any other skill, you know, at the beginning, when you think you're really good and you look back at yourself, you're like, ah. <laughs> and you learn to understand that the delete key is your, you know, most prized possession on the keyboard. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, I really have been, been thinking about this kind of world and universe for a long time, but it probably wasn't until a few years after I got out that I was really going to buckle down and put this story together, which is the first of a trilogy. Let's talk about that. So this is the first one. Don't want to give too much away. It's drops this week. You got to go pick it up. So here's Tyler, you know, suffering from the loss of his brother and just looking to, you know, go on a vengeance tour, essentially. But it really illustrates the discovery of war and those that are involved in it, right? Which you and I know, know personally. Yeah, it's 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 definitely born from two main elements of my own life. I mean, obviously, this is totally fiction, right? But But it's... It's born from my exposure to violence uh, as a kid, you know, um, younger than him, but just kind of a mixture of that and my experience in discovering war. I mean, I wasn't that old when I joined battalion either. I Ranger battalion. I was 20 by the time I got in. So, you know, it was pretty young and this discovery of war. And like you said, all the parties involved in it, and that's the politicians, that's the 
the bystanders, the families that are just, you know, born there and live, live there. And then the people, of course, the people fighting in it, some of whom are very experienced, know what they're doing. Some of these people like Tyler have no idea what they're doing, you know, and are just trying to stumble, he's stumble his way through and trying to survive and trying to kind of keep this moral compass intact that he feels like every corner he turns, there's like a wall there, that, you know, there's something, something really profoundly wrong is happening. And, and the world that is painted in his head does not like match what he's seeing in this very, very violent post-apocalyptic kind of world. It's just humans and humans, you know, there's no, no zombies, no aliens or anything like that. It's just people, uh, the, the context is, uh, you know, like a weaponized virus wiped out a good population of the earth. And, and, and for the record, I, I, I came up with that premise like 10 years ago. So it has nothing to do with what's going on now. That's kind of the stage. So it's just people fighting and warring over resources mainly. And really imp- implementing, you know, from being a bat and, you know, in the military, people being people, I think is something that is not only critical to the story, but critical to life that we, we kind of always dance around. Yeah. I mean, human beings, they'll do what they do and they'll do all sorts of different things. There's, there's a lot of elements of that, you know, the, I always get a kind of a kick out of this descriptor you hear in a lot of fiction of like, this person looks like a killer or this person looks like a, you know, like something else. And it's not, not really like that. You know, there's a huge spectrum of capability inside of every human being, what somebody's capable of. And some people can have a very intense, you know, scarred face, and they might be like totally maniac killers, but they might be the nicest people you've ever met too. And then on the other spectrum of that, you have people who look like really, you know, soft features and they look really nice or gentle be, you know, they might like totally be kind of like off the deep end and just loving to murder people or something. And you see that reflected in reality. And that, that just being one example of it's an interesting look at human nature, especially especially the post-apocalyptic setting. It's a really interesting setting for looking at human nature because it kind of like like the battlefield does in war, you know, it kind of boils people down to their most to these really basic elements like fear, courage, grief, love, all of these sorts of basic human experience elements. They are like on the battlefield and and in a setting like a post-apocalyptic setting where pretty much everywhere is a battlefield. You know, these things are like distilled down to the most basic items. And, and that's why I think people who aren't in the military can resonate with war movies. People who have never experienced an apocalypse can still resonate with these stories. It's not because like, oh, I get that necessarily. But to some degree, everybody gets grief, courage, fear. Like we all understand those things. So you don't have to have that experience to to really resonate with these stories. But I think it's it's a powerful, you know, setting to, to actually communicate those ideas because they're so distilled, they're so strong, you know, um, it's hard to find greater examples of fear and courage than on, on the battlefield that are so pure in, in form. No, absolutely. And you're really extracting from, we're going to coin it here, right? The periodic table of human behavior. Because yeah. those elements, while, you know, are can exist independently, but when they start to like compound with other elements, make something so complex uh, and it really changes how sometimes people interact with their, or it does change how people interact with their environment and stuff. And like you said, whether it's somebody that's, you know, scarred and looks tough 
and is a sweetheart and vice versa, it really comes down to like influence, right? And like you said, you had influence early on as a writer, right? You, you wrote a yeah. book that, you know, like you found it. Where did you really feel that influence came from? I didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up in uh, Pakistan. I lived there for 10 years as a kid. Uh, my parents are aid workers. My dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. And they do aid work in Burma out of Thailand now, uh, which is where I spent later part of my childhood. But the first 10 years were in, in uh, Pakistan. And, you know, early days in the 90s in Pakistan, we didn't really have like much stuff there. Like, you know, hot water was, you know, a, a very rare commodity, electricity every three days kind of thing. But we did have, my dad would get these fine cut like meats from the capital city, Islamabad, and it would be a 13 hour drive. He'd put them in these really big coolers and he'd drive it there and he'd give one of the coolers to the, the local movie store guy. So we could get movies for free, pretty much. That was the trade-off. So I could walk up to the movie store and get movies for free. And uh, that was really my love for storytelling started from just going up there and getting movies. And my dad is a super big literature nerd. So he's always like, you know, from the obvious ones, like talking about movies like The Matrix or like, uh, you know, these really literature heavy movies, you know, these sort of uh, more art house type movies too. And all the way down to like just simple action movies and watching, I'll never forget a conversation I had with them. We'd watch the movie SWAT with Colin Farrell, right? Mm -hmm. This super action movie, uh, you know, like, and I, you know, I was fun. I was a kid. I was like, oh, that's cool. And, and it, but it started this conversation with my dad that really got me. I think that was the moment a lot clicked. He was talking about why the audiences in, in the West, particularly, and well, really everywhere are attracted to films that display like physical courage, even though it's not a theme really, you know, it's not really like part of the heart of the film. It's it's an action film that's like fun to watch, you know, and that's it. But these actions around physical courage that we admire a lot, uh, it's kind of a commentary on, you know, American society as a, as a, as a whole that we, on some level, devalue that. And, and so I would say that really movies was what started my love for it. And I still have a deep love and passion for films from like a whole spectrum because it's interesting to me, you know, whether it's just a, you know, like a really slapstick comedy or action movie that, that, you know, would allegedly not have a lot of depth all the way to, you know, like really great movies that are coming out. It, it's all very interesting to me, whether, you know, whether it's technically a good movie or not. So that was really started with my love for literature and, and writing and, and everything. And, you know, you can't produce a movie when you don't have like when you're a kid or whatever. So I, I started writing a lot then as as an outlet for my passion for storytelling and just kept going and would eventually get, you know, my uh, degree in English literature in Florida at USF. And yeah, just kept, you know, I worked as a freelance journalist for a while and I've I've written a bunch of articles for Coffee or Die magazine now. So I, I write on that side too. These days, it's just literature nerd stuff for the most part, that stuff that we're talking about, you know, and I have a fixation on uh, war literature written by guys who were in the military, especially, you know, like people who are veterans of big, like World War One, World War Two, stuff like that. So that's kind of my, has been my road to writing. But I would say the biggest piece of it is definitely just a repetition, getting, getting the reps in, you know, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I would always want to finish something, but as I got older, I would need to, you know, make sure that I'm putting my time in, you know, great thing that I learned in the military was, you know, a lot higher level of discipline. So trying to use that and actually transfer it into 
my creative pursuits, which as a creative can sometimes be difficult for some creators to kind of wrap their minds around to like insert this rigid type schedule into this organic, very, very, very organic kind of imaginative thing. You feel like it should just kind of come to you when it comes to you. But three years later, when you have nothing to show for it, it's kind of like, eh, maybe I should have just written 10 minutes every day. <laughs> Is that what you found? Like 10 minutes every day or? I have a hard and fast rule of writing five minutes every day on that project. So whatever that project is, is what I'm going to write about every day, which is like, it doesn't count if it's just some random thing I'm writing on the side or an idea I got or an article that I'm writing. It has to be my book or if I'm working on a poetry book, my poetry book. It has to be one of those like big things that a year from now I want to actually have done. So anybody can discipline themselves to do anything for five minutes a day. If you don't have five minutes, like in an entire day to do something, I think you need to reevaluate. I'm a super busy person with my work and everything, but if you can't spare five minutes, then you need to reevaluate. I think you're just schedule or realistic goals at all. More often than not for me, that time cascades into more than five minutes. You know, I get, I get engaged in what I'm doing and then, you know, it's been 15 minutes and 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, and a weekend could be hours, but as long as I hit that five minutes at the very least, I mean, that adds up. I mean, you know, that's, that's once the, the days roll by and the months roll by, you know, it, it adds up. And then I buy a lot on an, on a pretty outlining system too, that helps me discipline myself too. That's really what it all comes back to for me is just disciplining myself and putting myself in a position where it's easier to discipline myself. I mean, it's easy to discipline yourself in the military to a certain degree because you put yourself in a position where someone is almost pretty much making you do it, right? So how can you put yourself into a position where you are beholden to something outside of yourself, right? Whether it's just a tool, like a rule that you have for yourself or um, someone else holding you accountable in some way, or like for me, you know, like following this outline system, stuff like that. I think that's really important to, there's a lot of great qualities you get from the military, but they don't help you on the outside unless you can use some kind of adapter and, and, uh, make it work with the outside. And that takes some doing and figuring out because everybody's industry or whatever is different. Right. And then adaptation, like you talked about is taking that framework of, and structure of, Hey, five minutes we're going to take this energy and direct it towards this new, like, you know, skill that we're trying to write about or, you know, understand this world. And then that compounding interest of doing those reps every day just continues to build and build and build. Yeah. And not only do you actually finish the book that you're trying to write, but you also get a lot better because you put in reps, right? Like right now I'm trying to get better and better at running a camera and, you know, my, my skill for, for writing is higher than my camera skills. Um, it's something that like, I'm not going to publish some of the stuff that I'm, I'm messing around with on my camera. Right. But I'm going to put in those daily reps just to get there. Um, because you just, you have to, you need that. I mean, it's just training is what it is. Um, so, and with my writing, you know, I'm, I'm publishing most of the stuff that I'm, I'm writing or planning on it anyway, but I'm still, it's still a skill that's getting dips. I mean, I can look at, you know, older writing and writing now and see that, you know, just see that I've gotten better. And that's, that's also encouraging. And it's also just nice to have like in, in the writing sphere, especially in the, in the novel space, it's, it's, it's a pretty big project. You know, it's a lot of writing. It's a lot of words on a lot of pages and uh, you know, to have it done is, is a good feeling too. And you're never going to get there if you don't have some way to discipline yourself. I mean, some people might magically just, you know, feel creative and great for, 
months at a time and, and not really have to do that. But that's not me. I, I need to, I need to discipline myself. And, and once I do and get in a rhythm, it's not, it's not that hard. Uh, it's not like, cause it's still, it's fun to write. I still have a blast doing it. And that allows you to have that creative discipline, which is when you're able to tap into that, it just allows you to continue to grow and build these new like habits and behaviors. Like you said, your writing now is so much different than what it was. And you can look at specific metrics and be like, this has improved my life. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that? Well, so I, I, I see my writing as trying to contribute to the uh, American culture, right? In some positive way, trying to contribute to the readers who are consuming this sort of story. And, you know, it, it, I want it to be, I mean, I want it to be fun and like cool and interesting and exciting, but also to like mean something and to feel like it moves people in a certain way. And it, you know, it might not be like, oh, I read this book and it changed my life, but I don't think a lot, very few things I can point to in my own life had that effect on me. I have a lot of seeds that have grown in certain directions. And I think that I want to be a part of someone growing in a certain direction and feeling like I'm contributing in a way that I'm passionate about is, is really big. So I, I would say that like, there might be versions of that for other people that aren't necessarily creative. I do think that being, you know, like having a creative outlet in general is really healthy and really good. And you learn a lot about yourself while you're articulating these things that obviously, I mean, they're not coming from anyone else. They're coming from you. So like you start learning a lot about yourself. Once you start putting yourselves in shoes of all these different characters and like think, you know, trying to figure out how do they think it really expands your empathy. It expands your ability to, to understand people and understand yourself, you know, like, wow, this came out of, you know, my mind. And it can be like, oh, th this character thinks this thing and that's really interesting. But it can also be like, when I was writing my war poetry books, I noticed that I had a ton of imagery and I didn't mean to do it. A ton of reoccurring imagery of like rocks and dirt and like hands and like really tangible, gritty kind of images that kept popping up to the point that I was like, this is going to be kind of repetitive. I need to change things up a bit. But it was just interesting to me that like the, and, and that wound up becoming uh, kind of a theme in, in this book. and then also in my poetry of just, especially, I mean, poetry is this sort of very cerebral out there kind of, you know, medium of writing, but it's war is rooted in the tangible, right? It's very real. It's super like, you know, you, you're, when you're out, you know, on target or something, you're, you're not in a, in whatever the world of poetry is, you're not there, you know, you're definitely firmly rooted in the, in this like really intense, you know, place where everything that you do matters, right? You can, you, you're, you might be willing to die just to get around a single corner, right? You don't have, so like you're in this really vivid physical space. And that was something that kind of like articulating that in my war poetry, I kind of learned about just, I mean, that's not something that I would have ever disputed before, but it's like something that's cool to articulate to myself and really see and discover that. And it's a ton of things like that writing, like just, you know, that you never questions arise that you never really thought to ask. And I, I love that about it. And it really, like you said, increases the awareness, both of internally and externally of, you know, the environment that you're in and where, how you find yourself continuing to interact. Part of that self-awareness though, allows you to look at strengths and also weaknesses. Where along the way have you kind of suffered and fallen through like failure, but it's ultimately allowed you to strengthen through that awareness? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember in, in Ranger Battalion, we have a, we have a PT test called the RPAT, you know, and it's this kind of like involved PT test where you have like kit on and, and, uh, you know, helmet and like your weapon and you, you know, you do all sorts of like 
different uh obstacles you know climb a rope go over a wall drag a, a skedco and like run a mile and then at some point run another mile and all this stuff and you know i had like a lot of trouble with like just climbing over the wall for whatever reason this one this one morning just totally kicked my ass and i i like could not it just like just crushed me and i was like kind of embarrassed in it you know it was like i i'm pretty really pretty good at all the other stuff the body weight running cardio all this stuff is is what i'm i'm good at so i was kind of taken back and definite failure for sure. Uh, and then I, I went back and just went down to the obstacle course afterward and, and really, and just did it over and over and over and over and over again, out of kit first and then in kit again later. And, and I, I when I did that, I, for whatever reason, I was just kind of like pissed at myself. I, I didn't really think to, you know, do the actual whole thing and, and time myself and, and really, you know, meticulously retrained for this event. I was just like, I'm going to do the wall until I like can't do anything anymore, you know? And then I, I had, we had another RPAT and I, you know, I crushed it. It worked, but what it really taught me was that, I mean, if I can come back from something and retrain and like, really like push myself hard, I mean, you can, you can reattack something. It's that failure. Isn't just a defining factor of who you are. And there are other failures in my life you know, grad schools that I didn't get into, uh, right before I got out there, like send them to jump master. And I was like, what? And then, you know, I like didn't pass jump master. So <laughs> I'm in that crowd that so many people are in. And like, I had failures that I came, you know, back from that. I didn't like go back and succeed at for sure. But, you know, that one in particular, I think taught me that, you know, this, that failure isn't, it's not part of your identity. It's, it's like something that can tell you like, Hey man, you need, to like work on this a little bit more you need to so and i've taken that and and it's a it gives you a sense of personal responsibility because which is an opportunity it's not it's not bad it means that you're the one who can fix it right i'm the one who can train and get over this wall again so you know taking that into the civilian world right using that adapter if i have a failure now a lot of times what i'm trying to do is i take a look at myself and say you know i can sit around and feel bad about it all day but like, what do I actually have control over? You know, can I reattack this thing? Yes or no? If no, still focusing on what do I have control? Over? If no, then don't worry about it. Like, get you know, like that sucks, you know, and it's okay to feel bad about it. But like, ultimately, what do I want to do? And all that I can do is the thing that I have control over and trying to figure out what that is and then how to start working on that in order to achieve whatever it is that I want to achieve. There's a lot of great points. And I think my next question is really kind of wrap up the takeaway from that, right? You talked about adaptability, putting in the reps throughout this conversation and failure not being tied to your identity. So Luke Ryan, how are you better than yesterday? Um, I would say, you know, when I go for, I love to run. When I go for runs, I, I go to a certain point. I pick wherever it is that I'm running. So, you know, that only really changes every time I move houses and I pick a point and I, it's a, it's a fourth point. I, I try not to do a circle and I go there and I go back and I have a, I have a watch and the distance I usually try to keep, you know, some somewhat consistent place to place, but you know, if it's like five miles or five and a half miles, whatever, but I do the same distance every time. And my goal is always to get there and then come back. And I want to try to see my times go down with that. Like it, the specific split mile times, I don't care about, you know, I'm, I'm just interested in being better than myself the day before. So obviously in running, you know, that's, (laughs) that's one piece of it. And then 
taking that into other aspects of my of the civilian world, right? Am I writing more than I was last year? Am I publishing more than I was last year? I'm really not a competitive person with other people uh, at all. Uh, I, I just, I don't care about where other people are at in comparison to me. I hope that they're doing really great. And if that's way ahead of me, then that's awesome. But I am really interested in comparing myself to myself and not in a self-deprecating way. You know, I don't want to like get myself down if I'm not ahead of myself where I was last year. You know, my run times certainly aren't what, aren't what they were in, when I was in battalion, but, but I want to make sure that I am constantly on a general plane of improvement. And, you know, with my writing, you know, other skills that I want to develop, like I talked about with my, you know, my skills behind the camera, am I better than I was, you know, pick, pick a realistic time frame last week, last month, last year. And that's kind of just how I measure it. And that should just always be going up. I think if I look at my, my, those run times and look back a year and actually like, you know, take a peek at that, it's going to be, I'm like, wow, it's quite a bit of difference. So understanding through self-awareness, those performance metrics and constantly looking back to leverage and use that because the fight is inside, it's internally to get better than yesterday, like you said, as opposed to looking to compete externally because you're just trying to be the best Luke Ryan you can be. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, you know, I always tell myself to do, do my best and it sounds like a, a, a cop out. But if I really think about it, I've only ever done my best a handful of times, like really push myself to the absolute limits of where I look back and I'm like, wow, I could not have done one single thing better in my all of my imagination. You know, I rarely have actually done that. So even just trying to get most of the way there is is way more than enough. And that's an excellent point. Luke, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story. We are excited here at the Gotcha Six podcast community about the novel finally coming out. The first Murado drops this week. Pick it up. You won't regret it. Find out what Tyler's doing because this is only the beginning of the story, not the end. Luke, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for having our six. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Sixers, thank you for listening to another episode of the Gotcha Six podcast. If you got something out of this, be a battle buddy. Share it with a friend, pass it along, tell them what you got out of it. If you're listening to us on Apple, make sure you give us a five-star review. Or if you don't, like what we're doing, let us know. How can we get better? We're always here to adapt and evolve as this podcast continues to grow. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button and you'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers, but the lawyers would like us to remind you that the views, opinions, and comments expressed on the Got Your Six podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests to include current and previous Department of Defense employees and should in no way be considered the opinions of or endorsements on behalf of the Department of Defense or any of its components, divisions, contractors, or other current and previous staff members. <laughs>